1: Time now for the Church of the Week, showcasing churches and pulpit ministries from across the greater San Francisco Bay Area.
2: Joining us now is the senior pastor of Bay Hills Church in Richmond, Pastor Alan Coleman. Pastor Coleman, great to have you with us today.
3: Oh, thank you so much. I'm excited. Uh, You have no idea.
2: What uh, And we're excited, too, because you have quite the unlikely trajectory, as I suggested in my opening remarks, um, from where you were born and bred to your early days in the military, later on your career in business, and then ultimately to wind up in pulpits all across America. I'm sure that our listeners are thinking, okay, there's a bridge in there <laughs> somewhere that we're not privy to, but we're going to have you fill us in on the spots we're not aware of. So... Take us back a little bit about your life in East Los Angeles as a young man.
3: Yeah, uh, I, I always say this: so uh, I'm just the least lo- least likely convert with the least likely background at the least likely time. And um, you know, I uh, I grew up in East L.A. Um, in a in a pretty violent environment, a pretty environment, a pretty violent home. Um, And, uh, I was a participant in that violent environment at one point, you know, I was, uh, knee deep in street culture, gang culture, uh, everything that went along with, with growing up as a biracial young man, um, of Mexican American descent in East Los Angeles. And so I got my girlfriend pregnant, who's now my wife, uh, of 26 years. Um, and, uh, uh, for for whatever reason, God had put it on my heart uh, uh, to not abandon that responsibility, which is how I ended up in the, in the military, uh, s- serving in the United States Marines. That was already an interesting trajectory for me, but that sort of just confirmed it. That life event. It wasn't until later in life that I came to know the Lord that I that Jesus saved me. That's the bridge that you're missing that pulled me out of business. Uh, and pulled me ultimately into full-time vocational ministry.
2: Growing up as a young man in East L.A., biracial must have been challenging in the sense that you probably didn't get much love from either side, meaning neither from the Latino community that perhaps criticized you for being half white or half gringo, and vice versa. That must have been tough.
3: Yeah, I, growing up, it was definitely tough because I never really had a. I never really had a people. I never really had a family. My own family, uh, you know, was falling apart. So. the the family that I was searching for outside of the home, you know, I, I was a bit of a pariah in both camps. It served me very well later in ministry though. What I mean by that is for example, during 2020, during the pandemic, when politics reigned and, uh, unity was difficult, uh, I was able to bring both sides together in a lot of ways. So, uh, uh, a different voice would only have been able to speak to one side or the other, and what God allowed me to do during that season was to pull both sides together and keep the church unified in that season, so it was hard growing up but but in ministry it's been nothing but a grace, a blessing, and a and a tool for uh for ministry.
2: Your time as a young man had you gotten involved in gangs at all?
3: Yeah, yeah, one of the larger ones in east l a actually there was while I was, for lack of a better word, candidating prospecting for, for this particular club, for this particular gang, there was a a scary incident that, um, ejected me out of that culture, uh, scared my dad. He changed, he made me change high schools, um, which is, which probably saved me from a trajectory in a lot of ways, uh, that invariably would have led to probably something, um, catastrophic. So, and it was at that high school where I met my, my now wife of 26 years.
2: We think about gangs, I think, often in the context of street violence, gun running, drugs, all of this. That's from the outside perspective looking in, but from the inside looking out, do they really largely end up serving as almost substitute families? And I raise that question because so often when we hear stories not too dissimilar from yours about young men who find themselves involved in gangs or pledging for a gang that in a sense what's really attracting them is not that they woke up one day and said I think I'm going to dedicate myself to a life of crime or I think you know 10 years at Rikers or at at San Quentin would be good for my health but rather that that sense of community and belonging in in a real sense they may not articulate it this way but in a real sense almost longing for that sense of family that quite often is missing in many families in America today, my goodness, with a divorce rate of over 50%, there's, there's evidence in and of itself.
3: Yeah, you know, I, I completely agree with that. And here, here's what I would say is, you know, especially in, in Latino families like mine where everybody has to work in order to, in order to pay the bills. And so that means nobody is at home. And particularly in the 90s where I grew up as, a, as the latchkey generation, you're looking for a family to connect with. Uh, And most street gang culture sees that in young men and, in in fact, looks for that in young men to pull them in as part of a recruiting strategy. And the reality was I was okay with that because I was looking for a family. I I think God has written on our hearts the need for community and family. And so I, I looked for family there, did not find what was written on my heart. I looked for family and brotherhood in the military did not totally find what was written on my heart. I looked for family uh, and camaraderie with my staff in business, did not find what was written on my heart. It wasn't until the local church uh, that I found the full expression of what God was trying to uh, draw me into the whole time.
2: And, of course, a big distinction there, too, is that in many of the circumstances where you cite, you were hoping to find that sense of satisfaction, Even when there is that sense of belonging, it tends to be very transactional. It's fleeting. It's Mm -hmm. for the moment. You do this for me, I'll do that for you. We'll all feel good together. But the minute one side of that contract is broken, all bets are off. And that is an absolute diametric opposition to what we see demonstrated within Scripture as to what not only family should be, but moreover, what it means to be adopted into the very family of God. And so for a lot of people, I think just that... That sense of unconditional love, that unwavering, unconditional love has got to be so overwhelming and ultimately so attractive once a young person or any individual, for that matter, gets introduced to the reality of what that unconditional love looks like coming out of a lifetime of very transactional relationships.
3: Yeah, I think that um, the way that I usually say it is this way, that relationships, biblically speaking, are designed to be covenantal in a contractual world. So we like contracts. So, for example, in the Old Testament, it talks about contract in the context of terms and conditions. We like terms and conditions. You do this, I'll do this. If you do this, then I'll hold up my end of the deal. But covenantal relationship is whether or not you hold up your end of the deal, I'm still going to love you, serve you, know you, and pursue you, which is a reflection of the gospel in and of itself. So whether it's marriage or whether it's community in the local church, what we're really looking for is covenantal relationships. It's just we have really only been taught and modeled contractual ones.
2: How did God pursue you? You talked about the step through growing up, joining the military, moving on to the business world at some point there was an encounter and i'm curious what sort of the steps were in god's pursuit of you
3: well i don't know if we have all day but the but here's the very shortest answer that i can give and then you can tell me what what more you want out of this when my wife was pregnant with our second child we knew that he was going to be born with a particular birth defect now this particular birth defect uh did not carry with it large consequence it, it carried large potential consequence. So when my son was born, that potential consequence was realized in the form of him losing oxygen at birth. So most of his brain was damaged and destroyed uh, by the time that he was born and we brought him home. So for me, what that triggered in me, what that was starting to pull out of me were things that my wife was wrestling with. What I mean by that is, is my wife, Because I didn't know what to do with pain and suffering. My wife had been loved where we happened to live at that time by the local church very well. So she was being pulled into the local church and into a relationship with Jesus. That produced nothing but anger in me, nothing but hostility in me, that there's no way that a good God, if he exists, could allow this type of thing to happen to my son, who at that time was predicted to only live to be maybe two or three years. Who would never walk, talk, laugh, or smile. And so it was, that was the beginning of my journey. As my wife got pulled further and further into the local church, she became instrumental uh, in, in, getting the, in getting Christ to me and getting the gospel to me, which is a very long journey uh, before I finally surrendered.
2: Pastor yeah. Coleman, uh, tell us a bit about service times and uh, some of the ministerial offerings available for folks here in the Bay Area at Bay Hills Church.
3: Well, Bay Hills meets every Sunday at nine and 11. Um, and, uh, we meet, uh, in Richmond, uh, at Hilltop on close way. Uh, so we're in a strip mall, which we love because it sort of puts us in the public square. Uh, we very often have people, uh, who will just wander in from the neighboring businesses, uh, trying to figure out what's going on in the middle of the strip mall. Um, and, uh, uh uh, we have uh we also have celebrate recovery that meets uh on a weekly basis um uh we have local missionaries that we support we have an ongoing partnership with the bay area rescue mission that we're involved with um uh we are uh um and uh and then obviously we have uh a, a pretty we have pretty vibrant outreach uh opportunities Uh, that are pretty unique to our church. So, uh, we do, for example, two large community outreach events, um, in the East Bay because, uh, we're trying to reverse the narrative of the local church in the, in the, in the Bay Area, uh, where our objective is to serve, love, and know our community. One's called Extravaganza, which just happened this last Saturday, which is the brainchild and organizational, uh, uh, the responsibility of our kids' ministry director, and the other one is Fall Fest, which happens in the fall. Uh, extravaganza, uh, the largest that event has ever been historically is 4,000 people, which is big. We have it on a high school campus. The fact that they let us come onto the high school campus to love and serve the community is crazy. Uh, this last Saturday, there were 10,000 people from the community there. Now, that is a better number. Than however many people show up on Sunday morning, that our reach into the community, uh, uh, you know, surpassed five digits was exceptional to me because I'm pretty, I'm an evangelist first, pastor second. And uh, and that was very, very exciting.
2: Yeah, I would imagine looking at numbers like that, and again, putting this in perspective uh, in terms of outreach that means a lot and that, that must really not only mm. delight the heart of the Lord, obviously, but delight your heart as well to see the way the community is responding that way and the visibility of the church. Cause oftentimes we get a, you know, we get a bad rap and a lot of times it's because of, you know, we don't always yes. behave the way we ought to as believers. Yes. And so to see that the community turn out to something like that and, and begin to see just that, that starting touch, you know, that, that begins that, that opportunity at, dialogue and relational outreach, and then ultimately what it means to make disciples. That's exciting stuff. Um, I want to remind folks that they want to get more information about the ministry of Bay Hills Church, again, they're meeting Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. at 4000 Klaus Way in Richmond. Information available, you can call them directly at 510-223-2500. That's 510-223-2500, or easier still, online at bayhills.net. That's bayhills.net. Pastor Alan Coleman, we appreciate the time today. It, it, it seems to be fleeting, but we'll get a chance, hopefully, to visit with you again <laughs> real soon.
3: I am so grateful for this time. God bless you and everything that you do. We're so
1: thankful.
2: A conversation with Pastor Alan Coleman, Senior Pastor of Bay Hills Church of Richmond. A brief time out. We'll come back to more of our dialogue in just a moment. Welcome back. We're visiting today with Pastor Alan Coleman, senior pastor at Bay Hills Church of Richmond. Pastor Coleman, let's pick up the conversation where we left off. Pastor Coleman, let me return to our discussion just prior to the break. So initially you were, and this is not unlike a lot of people that react to these circumstances, you know, purely in a fleshy fashion, a worldly fashion, a fashion disconnected from the reality of Scripture that sees God as the boogeyman, or that he can't possibly be a loving God if he would allow something to do, something like this to happen. And so therefore, that sense yeah. of wanting to uh, wanting to be distant from God, remove yourself from the situation, and that must have been for you also, at that time, would imagine some, some strong feelings related to your spouse, in that she's being pulled one way, you feel as if you're being repelled in the opposite direction, and yet as much as she's drawing closer to this God, you're wanting to pull away which must have also stirred up some anger, some feelings of not only anger and frustration, but but dare I say it, even almost jealousy in a sense. And I say that from sort of a relational man viewpoint, that there's, there's this other thing, quote unquote, that is competing for your wife's attention that you can't practically compete with.
3: I lived a life for a a long time up to that point where I, I felt like I'm a pretty good guy. Uh, I didn't abandon the girl that I got pregnant and I took care of and raised a family. Uh, I served my country. I, without a college education at that time, I, uh, had a pretty lucrative career to then give my family whatever they wanted. Uh, and, uh, uh, and so then this happens i felt like goodness was something that had been owed to me because i was a pretty good guy yeah,
2: you checked all the and right so boxes my
3: wife yeah and so then my wife drifting towards the church and towards christ felt like hey i'm the one who's here i'm the one that's going to get us out of this not not some invisible god who if he exists allowed this to happen in the first place so you're absolutely right when you say it, it, it stirred up lots of things in me until I came to the realization uh, that no one is good, uh, not at least not from a from a from a moral perspective.
2: What was that breaking point, that surrender point for you like?
3: So the short story is, my wife was attending a small group, and she got them to conspire to try and get me to attend, and I kept refusing, and uh, so one day they decided, hey. So she says to me, hey, do you want to come to small group? And I said, no. And she says, uh, well, we're making carne asada. And I said, all right, maybe just this one time. Uh, and <laughs> so way, always always uh, the way
2: to a man's heart.
1: <laughs> right That's through right. The stomach. That's right. <laughs>
3: uh, and so I, I was introduced at that time to a man named Gary, uh, Gary Boothilier. And what I saw in him in his home, I, I saw him love his wife in a way that I had never seen her experienced, modeled. I saw him love his children in a way that I had never seen or experienced modeled. Uh, And so he struck up a friendship with me with no strings attached. He just loved me. But one day it it became untenable and he had to share, he had to give to me, like, like first Peter says, the explanation for the hope that is in him, the reason that he's the way that he is. And he snuck a Bible into my bag and on a business trip back Out of Atlanta, Georgia, I got caught in a storm and I went to think I was getting my laptop out of the bag and I found this Bible that he had bookmarked to the book of Luke, chapter (laughs) 7, which is the story of Simon the Pharisee, the woman who crashes the party with the alabaster jar of perfume, and Jesus himself dining at Simon's house. And so to wrap this thing up, um, I thought Gary was trying to get me to relate as I'm on the side of the road reading this story, I thought he was trying to get me to relate to this woman who was a sinner and who was at the end of her rope. And I didn't feel any of those things. Uh, and so I, I, I repudiated Gary on the side of the road under my breath. Like I don't relate to this at all. And, and I must have spent hours in that story off and on as the rain went off and on having to pull over several times and keep reading the story until I had realized what he was, he was trying to get me to relate to Simon, Simon, One guy owes Visa $1,000. Another guy owes Visa $1,000,000. Jesus decides to cancel uh, both debts to the credit card company. Who's more grateful? And Simon says, the one with the greater debt canceled. See, Simon, what you don't realize is, is you're just like her. You need me just as much as she does. I know you think you're a pretty good guy. I know you don't think your debt is very big. The point is, is you have a debt irrespective of your perception of its size. I left Atlanta one man, and I arrived home a different man.
2: Pastor Coleman, uh, tell us a bit about service times and uh, some of the ministerial offerings available for folks here in the Bay Area at Bay Hills Church.
3: Well, Bay Hills meets every Sunday at 9 and 11, um, and uh, we meet— in Richmond, uh, at Hilltop on close way. Uh, so we're in a strip mall, which we love because it sort of puts us in the public square. Uh, we very often have people, uh, who will just wander in from the neighboring businesses, uh, trying to figure out what's going on in the middle of the strip mall. Um, and, uh, uh, uh we have, uh, we also have celebrate recovery that meets, uh, on a weekly basis. Um, uh, we have local missionaries that we support. We have an ongoing partnership with the Bay area rescue mission that we're involved with. Um, uh, we are, uh, um, and, uh, and then obviously we have, uh, a, a pretty, we have pretty vibrant outreach, uh, opportunities, uh, that are pretty unique to our church. So, uh, we do, for example, two large community outreach events, um, In the East Bay, because uh, we're trying to reverse the narrative of the local church in the in the in the Bay Area, uh, where our objective is to serve, love and know our community. One's called extravaganza, which just happened this last Saturday, which is the brainchild and organizational uh, uh, responsibility of our kids ministry director. And the other one is fall fest, which happens in the fall Uh, extravaganza. Uh, The largest that event has ever been historically is 4,000 people, which is big. We have it on a high school campus. The fact that they let us come onto the high school campus to love and serve the community is crazy. Uh, This last Saturday, there were 10,000 people from the community there. Now, that is a better number than however many people show up on Sunday morning, that our reach into the community – You know, surpassed five digits was exceptional to me because I'm pretty—I'm an evangelist first, pastor second—and and and that was very, very exciting.
2: Pastor Alan Coleman, we appreciate the time today. It—it seems to be fleeting, but we'll get a chance hopefully to visit with you again (laughs) real soon.
3: I am so grateful for this time. God bless you and everything that you do. We're so
4: thankful. So this morning I get to preach to you my favorite story in the whole Bible. Uh, I, I actually prefer the Old Testament because the Old Testament has lots of character studies and I, I tend to think that uh, character studies reveal to us a lot about the, about the person and work of God. So to begin, you're going to put your finger in two places if you're following along in a Bible. You're going to put your finger, number one, in John 10, and the other one in Genesis 37. So let me start with Jesus in John 10 and our context and text for the morning. He says this, I am the good shepherd. Okay, stop. Leave that verse up for a minute. Let's see how many church people we got in here. God is good? What the... Heck, we got you, some of you more church than I thought. All the time? Okay, Bay Hills. He says, I am the good shepherd, and we have been trained to understand that that means all the time, but we don't experience it all the time. And he says, one of the reasons for that is because people who are not good will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him. They aren't the shepherd. One of the things is that we perceive that a hallmark of God's goodness is he's always with us. That brings us to point number one. God is good all the time. because all the time God is with you. God is with you all the time, Hills. Our story comes from Genesis chapter 37. Jacob has 12 sons. One is the favorite. It says this, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because he had been born to him in his old age. Maybe some of you can relate. You didn't expect to have kids and you finally did. Or, 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 or it took you a while to have kids. And so, he, and so Joseph is a product of having a child later in life. And they're so thrilled because they didn't think they might be able to. And it, and, and it says, so one day, Joseph had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. Now, many of you, if you've been around the church at all, you've heard of the story of Joseph and his robe of many colors. But here's what you don't realize. The robe is a manager's robe. Most people, the, they would have been given a worker's robe to work in the field that they could get dirty. It had been tattered. It had been gray. There'd been no color in it. The sleeves would have been ripped off. So it would have been easy to work in the fields. But a manager's robe would be a long-sleeved tunic. It would be beautiful so that it is easy to identify from far off. And this is what Jacob gives his youngest child. It is a sign of his prominence and his authority over everyone in the field, including his brothers. Now do you understand why they don't like this cat? Put your hand in there. How many of you are the youngest in your family? Leave them up. Leave them up. Okay? Leave it up if you were the favorite. I just would like to go on the record by saying we all hate you. We do. We do. Okay? Uh, I wanna, I'm going to tell you a secret. Parents would be like, we don't have favorites. Yeah, we do. We totally have favorites. My oldest daughter's in the back going, I knew it! Our favorites change depending on the season, depending on what kind of nonsense you get up to.
1: And
4: Joseph is the favorite, and he's rewarded as such. They couldn't even say a kind word to him, and then so here's, what, here's when it goes from, here, here's where things go off the rails in his family. Joseph has two dreams. One astronomical, one agricultural. In both dreams, what God says to him is, I'm going to promise you blessing and prominence and flourishing. Everybody will bow down to you. Everything will be subservient to you, including your brothers. Now, Joseph is the favorite, and it's clearly not because of his IQ. Because he tells his brothers about the dream. It's one thing to tell your daddy. But you don't go telling your siblings, hey, uh, so God told me that I'm going to be awesome and you're not. <laughs> you don't say it, but he did. And so they decided, the other 11, we're going to kill this fool. Now, some of you have a younger sibling and you've thought those exact same words. <laughs> we should kill him. Yeah, I know. I Listen, all right. But in an act of mercy, they're like, all right, we won't kill him. We're going to sell this fool into slavery. So sub point, God is with you even when he seems absent in the promise that he made to you. God is with you even when he seems absent in his promises. Second Peter 3.9 says that the Lord isn't slow to fulfill his promises the way that some people think. And I can't help but wondering if Joseph is one of those people that some people think that God is absent in the promise. You just promised me these things. Joy and flourishing and blessing and grace. And I'm a slave now. Sometimes God's promises don't happen when we want them. Can I get an amen? amen? Listen, you know how many marriages that I that I've poured blood, sweat, and tears into, and I'm just praying that they'd be healed. I'm praying that they would be resuscitated, and I'm praying, I'm praying, and nothing's changing, nothing's getting better. And then some, I've had a couple, I've had a couple marriages where they they decide to leave the church, they go to another church, and then months later, or years later, I get a phone call or I get an email from, and they said, hey. Our marriage has been healed. And all I can think is, so not under my watch. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. Good for you. I'm glad everything's better now. And they'll be like, can you believe our new pastor? They said this, this, and this. You mean that stuff I said to you nine hundred times over the last few years? Are you kidding me? Because God's not on Alan Coleman's time. But He is always on time. So it doesn't happen when I want. And and God's God's promises don't happen how I want either. Have you ever heard the, the phrase the truth will set you free till you ever try confessing something? i confessed some things to my wife, and she, and that, there was no freedom in that conversation. <laughs> I'm like, oh, God, I thought you said the truth was supposed to set you free. Yes, it will set you free from this world, but not in this world. It'll set you free from shame and guilt, but it may not set you free from the consequences of your actions. But that's how I want it to set me free. Well, that's not how I promised it. Maybe that's true for you today. God seems to be absent from the things he's promised. And because you think he's absent from what he promised, you think he's just absent altogether. The other thing I mean is God, when God, God is with you, even when he seems absent in your circumstances, Joseph gets taken to Egypt in Genesis 39 and he was purchased by Potiphar. He's like the general of the army or the captain of the guard. Uh, and Potiphar purchased him as a slave for his own home. And, and what we're going to learn here in a minute is that just because you're not aware that God is with you doesn't mean that it's true. Let me ask you a question. How do you most experience God's presence now some of you might say, I really I really feel the presence of God on Sunday mornings when we're here together. Some of you might say, I really I really think that God is with me in his word when I'm reading the Bible. Others of you will say, I I, I, really, I really experience the presence of God in community with other believers. Uh, We have an over-sensationalized view of God's presence, Bay Hills, here in the West. Do you think he wasn't present with you before you opened the Bible? Do you think that he's not with you when you leave here today? Some people say, man, I really feel like God is in this decision. Do you think he wasn't five minutes ago? where you'll say, I, I really don't think God is in this. You, you really believe sometimes He's here and sometimes He's not? Is that how you think He works? What's the role of the Holy Spirit? To send you a helper so that you will never be alone. Ever. He will be with you always, is what Matthew's Gospel says if you're like if we listen to but my feel I really feel like if we listen to every feeling some of you will be in jail we don't listen we don't trust our feelings and whether we feel like he's present or not present the Bible is very very clear whether you're aware of it or not he is present this is exactly what Uh, Joseph's dad had to learn. Back in Genesis 28, he was promised the promised land and and God sent him somewhere and he couldn't understand why God would send him to this other place instead of where he said he was going to promise and send him. And God's like, I'm going to get there. I have perspective. You don't. And then when he gets there, he finally figures out why God sends him there. And he says this, Jacob does, surely in this place, surely God is in this place. And I wasn't even aware of it. And that's how it is for you and me. We think he's, he's with us or not with us depending on our environment, on our experience. And the Bible is emphatic. He is never not with those of you who call Jesus Lord and Savior. I want you to know today that even if you don't think he's been with you, he is. That even if you don't sense him with you right now, he is. If this is a season where you don't feel his presence, it does not diminish the fact that he is present. Bay Hills. So do you know how Joseph responds to all of this? He doesn't say, show me. Show me that you're with me. You know know what most people don't realize about the entirety of the story of Joseph? God never says a word in the whole story. Not one word to him. Joseph just has to do this. He just has to do whatever anybody would do who was promised good by God, only to experience being thrown into a well, sold into slavery, and having to wait for the promise to come true, who was confident that God was still with him. That's what he did. That's how he lived. And that's how we're being invited to live every day. John 10. I am the good shepherd. Well, what's good, Jesus? He says this. Uh, goodness is hallmarked by being for you. It says here that those that are not good don't really care. Which brings us to point number two. God is good? Because all the time God is for you. All the time. He's never not for you. Well, what about when I sin? He's still for you. He, not be for, he may not be for how you're living or what you're doing but he's still for you. God is for you all the time. In fact, when a bad season gets better for others and not for you, he's still for you. Do you know that? Look at Joseph's story. Soon Potiphar makes Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household. And so then the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. What did God bless? To which, if I'm Joseph, I say, hey, God, Uh how about you bless me because of me? I'm glad that you're blessing Potiphar because of me, but I'm the one here work turning out. I'm the one here working. I'm the one trying to be faithful. So how about you bless me? Sometimes it's really hard. To trust that God is for you when it only seems to be the case for everyone around you. You know where is not a good place to get good perspective on this? Social media. Every swipe, you're like, oh look, they're so happy. Oh, look at that, is that a wine bottle in the background? That's really well placed for this picture. Uh, Oh, look at this, their children are behaving all of the time. That's wonderful. That's what, oh, look at them laughing. Oh, good. Picket fences. I've always fantasized that I, I'm, I'm going to start a social media platform and I'm going to call it Keeping It Real. <laughs> and you're going to swipe and you're going to be like, oh, look, Ellen and Shannon. It's a video of them fighting over laundry again. Oh, look, it's Joanne's children. They're disobeying, and she's on the floor on her knees crying. (laughs) Oh, look, it's Barbara. She's having her third glass of wine before noon. (laughs) Sign me up. That's what I want to do. I feel better about myself every day. Listen, it's it's all of our best moments. Listen, uh... I got a little secret for y'all. Everybody's looking at you the same way. Our natural tendency is to compare and we only compare our bad against their good. That's what we do. So we see, we perceive that everything's going so great for them. Everything's getting better for only them. It's not going better for me. So God must be for them. They must be doing something right. He's not for me because of what's going on. He's always for you. Genesis 39 verse 3 says this. And Potiphar realized and noticed this. That the Lord was with Joseph. You know, it's also hard to think that God is for you, not just when your season goes from good to bad, but when it goes from bad to worse. In Genesis 39, it says this that uh, Joseph was very handsome. And a well-built young man. Man, do you see why his brothers hate this fool? Do you understand? Do you see this? Alright, not only is he the favorite, not only is he in charge, but like he's like, like I mean, he's like come holler at this fool, ladies. Come on. This is a good looking brown man right here, is what this is saying, okay? And so Potiphar's wife began to look at him lustfully. Yoo-hoo. Joseph! <laughs> and then she says, come and sleep with me. Now she is not talking about a pajama party. <laughs> this is a no-win situation. If he says yes, he will have slept with the person who God give, has given him favor in, and then he'll be killed. If he says no, he will offend the wife of the person who he is being given favor with, and he might be killed. And it's a no-win situation, and sometimes that's what it seems like God puts us in the middle of. How can he be good? So Joseph, do you know what Joseph does in this moment? He says no, and he, he runs. I mean, he hauls. And he gets framed for rape. Falsely accused and thrown into the dungeon. When a bad season goes from, gets worse for you, God is still for you, Bay Hills. Genesis thirty-nine twenty says he threw him into the prison, but then look at verse 21. It says, but the Lord was with Joseph. To which if I'm Joseph, I say, hey God, I don't want you to be with me right now because I don't want to be in prison. So how about you go be with my brothers for a little while? Because if you were good, they would be here in my place with no quarters for the Coke machine and I would be living the good life back at home with my father, Jacob. Some of you thought 2023 was going to be better. It was going to be more good. But you kind of looked at 2023 like this first image on the screen. You were like, uh, I think it'll be better. I'm hoping it'll be better. Right? You're like, nothing could possibly be worse than my 2020 or my 2021 or my 2022. 2023 has to be so much better. And then I saw this meme and thought it was really funny. Yeah, you don't find it funny? I find that hilarious because 2023 is going to be better for some of you. Some of you, 2023 is going to go off the rails. It's a terrible sermon, right? This is a really bad lead in. It's not encouraging at all. Uh, It says here that God showed Joseph his faithful love in the prison, not by getting him out of the prison. Let me ask you a question. What's what's been your prison? Your marriage? Maybe it's a season that you just got out of. Maybe it's one that you're in now, or maybe it's one that's coming for you. And the promise is, is God's goodness is not contingent upon the circumstances going around you. It is contingent purely on these two promises. That number one, that he's with you in the prison. And number two, he's for you in the prison. And if you don't know this, if you say show instead of no, the Bible says you will get what's called a hard heart. So let me ask you a question. Are you letting your hard heart, because of a season in prison, metaphorically, well, I don't know, this is the East Bay, uh, uh, but, but are, you, are you letting your hard heart determine whether or not you are aware of the fact that God is for you? Because of what you've gone through or what you are going through. It's coloring your lens Because someone else's bad season got better or your bad season got worse. And so you're resentful. You're bitter. So maybe, well, how, how do I deal with that? Well, Philippians 4 says this. Philippians 4 says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. He says, tell God what you need. Thank him for all he's done. Fix your thoughts on what is true. Think about things that are excellent and, and, and then praise those things. So here's essentially the formula. Number one, confess that your heart's been hard. Then be grateful for what he has done, not what you th- are aware that he's doing now. Maybe you have to apologize to somebody who you've pulled away from because you couldn't stand to be around them. Not because of something they did, but you know in your heart you couldn't stand to be around them because things kept getting worse for you and things got great for them. And so then maybe the last step is, is praise. You need, celebrating, God, seeing how God is for someone else when it feels like he's not for you, cancels a hard heart. So celebrate I know it's hard, how it's hard to celebrate when they get pregnant and you can't, when they get promoted and you've just been fired, but I'm telling you, I'm telling you, don't pull away. Find a way to see how God is good in other people's lives because it will train you to look for the goodness in your own life. So do you know how Joseph responded? He didn't allow himself to get hard-hearted sitting there in prison for a crime he didn't commit. He knew that even though everything seems awful, that God is for him. And so he just did what anybody would do who had been promised good, but instead was thrown into a well, sold into slavery, put in the middle of a no-win situation, framed for rape, and ended up in the dungeon. But that they were confident that God is for them. That's all he did. That's all he did. That simple little recipe, that's all he did in living his life. Which brings us to the last part. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, verse 11. And then he paints this picture of a good shepherd who's always working. He sacrifices his life. There's other sheep too, so I need to leave you here sometimes so that I can go get them as well. And so it may not look like I'm working, but I am working, which brings us to number three, Bay Hills. God is good? Because all the time, God is working. Sometime later, verse uh, 1 of chapter 40, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer and chief baker offended Pharaoh. And Pharaoh became angry with them, and he put them in the prison where Joseph was. Now, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker combined, their responsibilities would have been to make sure that Pharaoh is not poisoned. They would have tasted his drinks in advance, and they would have been responsible for everything he ate and to make sure that that wasn't poisoned as well. Now, I don't know what they did. The text doesn't tell them. We just know he ticked them off. And both of them end up in the dungeon. Maybe it's an overreaction. Who knows? And so one night, the cupbearer and the baker, who are now in the same prison with Joseph, they have a dream. Now, how did this story start out? With a dream. Joseph has the supernatural ability to interpret dreams. So they both have two different weird dreams. I'm not going to get into it. And they wake up. They are freaked out by these dreams. And Joseph goes, I can interpret dreams. Tell them to me. I can tell you the divine meaning behind it. So they do. They both tell him both of their dreams. And he looks at the baker, and he says, yeah, I know what that means. And he's like, great, what does it mean? And he says, you're going to die. <laughs> <laughs> ah, don't shoot the mailman. I just... Now that he looks over at the chief gupper, you want me to interpret your dream? And he's like, no, no, I do not. (laughs) (laughs) So he says, well, I'm going to tell you anyways. He says, you're about to get out of here. And when you do, you've got to tell the king about me, that I've been framed, that I don't belong here. That I shouldn't be in this situation. This shouldn't be happening to me. I'm one of God's people. Bad things shouldn't be happening to God's people. you got to tell Him. I've prayed that prayer. God, 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 this is the moment. This is the job. This is the promotion. This is the relationship. This is the... The venture capital, this is the new house, this is the new place, this is the new thing. This God, 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 if you just make this happen, this is all I need. It's just this one thing. If you just do this one, it's not hard, God. It's not gonna dim the lights in heaven. It's not gonna take a lot of energy if you just do this one thing. Verse twenty three. Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot about Joseph. Bay Hills, when you feel tempted to, when you feel forgotten, when you're tempted to feel forgotten, you need to remember that God is working. Some of you really are being faithful. Some of you really are trying to live a life that honors God. Some of you really are trying to, uh, distinguish yourself as his people, and it still feels like you've forgot. You've been forgotten in this season. In fact, this is exactly how I wonder if Joseph must have felt when that woman tried to seduce him back in Potiphar's house. Back in Ge- in Genesis thirty-nine, it says this. Look. My master has trusted me with everything in this house except for you because you are his wife. So how can I do this wicked thing and sin against God? Oh God. You mean the God that's put you in this situation? That's who you're going to trust? The God that made a promise for goodness Allowed you to be thrown into a well, sold into slavery, put in the middle of a no win situation, framed for rape, thrown into prison. That's the God that you're going to trust now. Some of you, your big issue with God is you're stuck in this show me mode and you can't possibly believe He's working because you don't see anything in your life working. That's exactly how I felt, Bay Hills. I was in my 20s. My son Tyler was born. I walked into a hospital, saw him for the first time, and this is the image that I saw. What God? I'm not going to turn out for him. This is how he turns out for me. And all the while, all the tantrums, All the doubting. All the pain. God in the unseen realm was working the whole time for my good. Because he is always good. John 5 says my father is always working and so am I. Genesis 41 verse 1 says this. Two Years later. That's how long it took to pan back and see what God was doing the whole time. In verse 9, it says that Pharaoh had a dream. No one in his kingdom could interpret it. And then the chief cupbearer in verse 9 goes, Oh, yeah. So there's a guy. I knew I forgot something. Two years! Better late than never, I guess. So they pull Joseph out of the dungeon, clean him up, and they put him in front of the most powerful man in the world who wants his dreams interpreted. Verse 15 says, I had a dream last night, and no one can tell me what it means, but I heard that you can interpret it. And on verse 16... Joseph says this, standing in front of the most powerful man in the world. He is the doorway to his freedom. And he says, it's beyond my power to do this. But God can tell you what it means. I can see all of the servants, because by the way, Pharaoh thinks he's God. I can see all of the servants going, ooh. Na-na, na na hey, goodbye. Come on, everybody. Na-na, na-na-na-na, <laughs> nah, nah. hey, 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 goodbye. You don't talk about God right now. And this is a lesson for those of you who, who, who see a way out. You're going, to be tempted. you're going to be tempted to take a shortcut. You're going to be tempted to not give God the glory. You're going to be tempted to get in the driver's seat. You're going to attempt to forget your faith if it will get you where you want to go. You're going to be tempted to never mention that you're a Christian because you don't ever want to go back to the prison. But do you know what Joseph did? He did what anyone who would do, who'd been promised good, Thrown into a well, sold into slavery, put into a no win situation, framed for rape, thrown into prison, who is now standing in front of the most powerful man in the world and possibly the only one who could set him free, and was confident that God is working, that God is involved. Psalm 24 says this, 23, excuse me, 23 verse 4 says this. We know this passage well. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. So when it comes to the goodness of God, Bay Hills, are you ready to move from show to know? No. There are going to be times in your life when it seems like nothing is happening. You will be tempted to feel forgotten or to forget God. But God is still working. Don't let the fact that you can't see it determine how faithful you'll be to God. In this life, there will be times when it seems like God is against you. It will seem like it's getting better for everyone else and maybe worse for you. And in those moments especially, you will need to be confident the god is for you don't let your hard heart hijack all the good and there will be lots of seasons lots of them where god seems so silent but he is not absent Don't confuse His silence with His absence because God is still with you, Bay Hills.
2: Pastor Alan Coleman, Senior Pastor, Bay Hills Church of Richmond.
1: This has been the Church of the Week, showcasing churches and pulpit ministries from across the greater San Francisco Bay Area. To nominate your congregation for Church of the Week, please email us the name and address of your pastor and church along with a link to your church's website to salemsf.com. Again, that's the name and address of your pastor and church, along with a link to the website and email to salemsf.com. While all submissions will be considered, not every submission is guaranteed airtime. Thank you for joining us today, and be sure to tune in again next week at this time for the Church of the Week.